spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University. Well, happy Monday, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in and starting the week out with us. I'm Ryan Kalei-Suji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And Yanji, this morning, we are catching up with a familiar face who we spoke to a lot during the pandemic and someone that we are interested in just catching up with and hearing about his future. That's right. You know, typically we have the governor here uh, every other Monday or so. Uh, but today we're going to be talking to someone who we believe wants to take that helm. That is former Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell. He joins us live from his office this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Yanji. Good morning, Ryan. It's, it's great to be with you. And yeah, you are right. We spent a lot of time together in my final year as mayor. Um, not planned to be that way in terms of the pandemic, but um, was always really appreciative to come on your show to get information out and answer the hard questions uh, for the public as we were dealing with the pandemic without a vaccine yet on hand. And I um, always look back at that with, at that, uh, with great gratitude and uh, wanna, I look forward to talking today. Well, we'll start off with an easy question, which is when are you going to announce? You know, people ask me that. And of course, you know, I'm doing all the things that need to be done in order to um, run a campaign statewide for governor. You know, I had a fundraiser last uh, week. I had a fundraiser a couple months ago. I spent two days in Kona um, this past weekend, a place that I know so well from when I was growing up, spent a lot of summers in Kona. It was good to reconnect with friends and both Makai and Malka. Uh, we did a community project, Higasahara Park, um, went to the Kona Coffee Festival, first time since the pandemic. Um, and it was just, really nice to be there. The weekend before I was on Maui, um, going to Kauai, and of course I'm on this island. So I'm doing the, laying down the, the, the network for grassroots. Um, we're raising the money. We're putting together a great team island-wide and statewide. And um, there will be a formal announcement. And I promise you guys that when we do do the formal announcement, we want you to be part of that. Um, when that is exactly, I can't tell you. Um, but when we do it, we want to have you part of the team to get the information out. Well, we will look forward to that day uh, and, and we'll definitely be a part of that conversation. So thank you for that. Uh, last time we spoke, you also had mentioned that you were contemplating writing a book uh, to talk yes. about your experiences during the pandemic. Is that something that you are continuing to pursue? And if you can give us any updates on what's happening on that front. So, you know, it's uh, we are writing a book. We're in chapter two of the book of eight chapters. It took quite a while to finish the interviews. We interviewed um, 25 leaders around the state, all islands, from mayors to the governor, to leaders in our business community, in government, um, in education, both private and public, um, to hear how people dealt with the pandemic first person. And this book is going to be about hearing the voices of those people and how they dealt with the pandemic. And the one thing that comes through so loud and clear no matter where people stood and how they addressed this thing, our community, our community came together tremendously, 
made huge sacrifice and worked together for the most part. You know, there were times when people were confused or had complaints, but I think unlike probably anywhere else in our country and perhaps the world, you saw uh, the, you know, the words like Kuleana and Ohana in operation here in the state of Hawaii. And so I think people are gonna enjoy the book. When I went back and started reading the interviews, we had transcribed them. Uh, it, it even sounded better than when I was asking the questions in terms of the stories that we're telling. And I think those who read the book are gonna be really fascinated to hear, for example, how Peter Ingram at Hawaiian Airlines had to start to deal with the dominoes falling as people were not coming from Korea and then from Japan to Hawaii, and then seeing it happen on the West Coast. Um, hearing it first person, I think, brings a lot of um, storytelling to life. The other thing is we're doing the book um, when the pandemic struck. Uh, I looked quickly for, hey, how did Hawaii deal with the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919? There's nothing really written. Uh, there is no playbook on what happened back then. Um, and I thought it'd be good to write something down uh, so those in the future can look to the book to find some guidance, learn from mistakes, um, learn from what worked and have a history. I think history is really important, not just to look backwards, but to look forwards. And that's the other reason I'm writing this book. You know, when you were leading the city through the start of the pandemic, one of the key points of tensions were shutdowns and lockdowns, uh, famously no butts on the beach and trying to really try to keep everybody safe. But of course, at a cost for some, it continues to what continues to be an area of tension now, of course, are the vaccine and the mask mandates. And that is right now to the purview of the governor, especially when it comes to masks. What are your thoughts on these COVID mitigation measures? Because COVID probably is here for some time to stay. Um, for example, would you hire someone on your staff that refused to get the vaccine? And, and what are your thoughts on the mask mandates? Yeah. Well, number one, I think government leaders, whether they be state leaders or county leaders, have to put the health and safety of the public first and foremost. And I think all the mayors and the governor have done that and continue to do that. Um, I think Governor Ige is a person who really puts it way out in front. And some people can find him frustrating for his being very cautious. Um, but my time as mayor and I, hey, I'm 11, outs from, 11 months from being mayor and I'm a, more of a bystander now. But you even see today, um, no matter what the governor and the mayors do, it's either too much or too little. It's either too fast or too slow. And I think that just comes with the territory of being a leader that makes the decision. But I do think health and safety is important, first and foremost, as mayor, I did that in every case. Um, without a healthy community, you cannot have a healthy economy. Now our community is getting much healthier. And I think the procedures put in place, both let's say looking at the city and county of Honolulu, I think what Mayor Bladjardi has done has been well thought out. I really like his restaurant um, requirements in terms of showing that you've either been tested and you're negative, or you have the two doses of vaccine in order to enter restaurants and other facilities is something that I think is really keeping people safe. On the state side, I think the governor's opening up Hawaii to travelers uh, from the continent, really loosening up the restrictions, but keeping safe travels in place is important. And then his more major announcement of opening up Hawaii to international travelers is really important. As far as masks, um, I think it's, important that we continue to wear our face coverings. Um, I just had mine on before we started talking. It becomes almost second nature at this point. I think it's an easy way 
to protect, our, protect ourselves and the rest of the public. And while the vast majority of the people avoid have not been vaccinated, um, well over 70% at this point for those 12 and under, and 80 something percent if you take that population out, we're doing really well. And the people of Hawaii deserve a lot of credit for stepping up. And I think those parents who are now taking their keiki to be vaccinated deserve a lot of credit. Uh, the way we make this, this COVID um, pandemic go away and turn it into an endemic and live with it is to get more people vaccinated. But until that happens, uh, wearing a face covering is important. One, because you still have breakthrough cases. Um, I have a pretty good friend, a doctor um, who's in his 50s, who was vaccinated, got COVID from a patient and is a long hauler. Um, and it's just tragic to see these kind of consequences. So um, wearing your face coverings is really, really important until we really see the numbers come down. You know, we're still seeing numbers in the 100 range um, almost every day in the state of Hawaii. And I think we need to get down to 30, 40 um, to get it to become an endemic. And then I think we could look at reducing um, the, re the remaining restrictions, um, including those in restaurants. I think that if um, we see the numbers continue to come down, particularly now that we've opened up Hawaii to travelers, both from the continent and from abroad, um, perhaps reducing the, the spread, the social distancing between tables to three feet as has been requested, requested by the Restaurant Association um, is important. And I would be on board to do that. I think we'd want to see what happens between now and Thanksgiving, uh, wait about two weeks. And if the numbers stay the same or continue to come down, um, then I think I would roll that back. Face coverings, I really don't want to speculate. I, I think that would be the last thing I would do as a governor because it's an easy thing for everyone to do and it does protect everyone. One of the things that uh, you bring to this conversation is you have a unique perspective, obviously having to manage the various departments within the city and county of Honolulu and uh, just wanted to talk about some of the specific issues that are happening right now in our community. Last week, we had uh, Anton Krucki on this program talking about homelessness and housing efforts and the initiatives that the new administration is currently undertaking. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on where we're at with uh, homelessness as an issue as a whole. Uh, of course, we know some of the efforts that you have put forth in your administration and this uh, Mayor Blangiardi's administration is taking a much different approach into how they tackle that. I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the overall issue itself, but also uh, the, this administration and the way that they are choosing to move forward with this. You know, Ryan, um, I'm really proud of the initiatives that our administration undertook dealing with homelessness. And, you know, I give the credit to those in my administration who pushed them forward, um, our cabinet members and others. Some came from the private sector, but we did really, really innovative things. You know, I look at Dwayne Carisu's Kahawiki village that we worked with them on as something innovative, not done anywhere else in our country and a great success, a private public partnership over 530 families um, living out in an area that was a paintball site before then, giving people real hope. Or various housing projects around the island. I mean, whether we bought buildings or built new ones, whether it be on the west side or in Waikiki, um, we did a lot in terms of providing housing, including an innovative containerized stacked housing. We also have our Sand Island Low Entry Facility. Um, that is something unique. And more recently, our, you know, our rest stop um, in Kalihi, where folks can go and take a shower, wash their clothes, um, get assistance in various, uh, various types. 
And then there's a, a medical treatment facility on the second floor and housing above it, along with another project that has, has not yet opened on Kowili, but it's gonna be a place where I'm hopeful that the folks who feed the homeless in Chinatown will instead do their food distribution in this new facility so we're not burdening Chinatown with the homeless population and the, the problems they see there in a place more suited, commercial kitchen where you can feed hundreds of people at a time. And also again, where there is housing on the second, third and fourth floor, along with different programs to help those in need. Now, I, you know, Mayor Blangiardi has a different approach to my compassionate disruption. And I think different approaches should be tried. As uh, when I was the mayor, um, I quickly realized that homelessness was a huge problem, not only in the city and county of Honolulu, but the state of Hawaii. And I became the vice chair of the task force on homelessness for the US Conference of Mayors. These are, this conference has 1400 mayors from large cities to small cities. And I wanted to be front and center on this task force to find out what are the best practices uh, being implemented in the United States at cities very large like LA to very small in the Midwest. And all these cities are plagued by homelessness. It's not just a big city problem. And I have not found a program that has solved it. I've seen different initiatives that make a difference. And that's where we came with these innovative projects was basically by looking what, at what was working in other parts of our country. I think at the end of the day, how you really tackle homelessness is the issue of housing. Um, something that's not new, everyone talks about it, and it's been a problem since I was born. It's just become so much un more unaffordable in the past maybe 10, 15 years where the average price of a home on Oahu is a million dollars, on Maui it's 1.1, on Kauai, $1.2 million. Um, we need to break the mold on how we provide true housing that is very affordable. And I think the state has a major role to play in that effort. And that's part of the reason why I wanna be governor. I wanna break this mold and provide more land, more infrastructure for developers to build housing on that is very low, you know, 30% AMI, 50% AMI, 60 and 80% AMI. I think just by increasing the supply of housing at the lower level with subsidy from the government is a way we break that mold and turn the corner on dealing with our homeless population, which continues to grow and plague our communities on all of our islands. I want to ask you about your administration. Uh, several key ranking members of your administration when you were in office did receive target letters from the federal government. Have you yourself received one of those? And can you share any thoughts on that investigation? You know, Yunji, I have not received a target letter. Um, I don't know where that rumor is coming from, uh, but it's been circulating for a while. I sure wish I knew. Um, as far as the investigation, I know that it's ongoing. Um, the, those doing the investigation are not talking to me or telling us, you know, what they're investigating. Um, and so I know very little on that front. Um, as far as investigation itself, I think, um, I, one, I support the process. I think we need to be patient with the process. But I also believe that everyone is owed a presumption of innocence um, that sometimes I'm concerned is not afforded folks. Um, as far as my corporation counsel, Donna Leong, and my managing director, Roy Almamia, uh, both of them deserve such a presumption. And I believe they've done nothing wrong. Um, when you look at the records of both of these individuals, both in the private sector and public sector, 
um, over decades. It's nothing been but stellar. Uh, they've done great jobs in both the public and private sector. And I think um, I've seen nothing as far as I'm aware of that they've done wrong. And again, I think they deserve a presumption of innocence. I think we need to be patient um, as this investigation continues. That's about as much as I know. Um, if I were to talk further, I'd just be speculating and I don't want to speculate. You know, during your time as mayor, there were some issues that became a heated issue in, in our community. And, and one of the issues that comes to mind is, is some of the things that happens with parks, right? With some of the disagreements with Ala Moana Park. And then there was the uh, disagreements with how to move forward with Sherwood on the, uh, you know, on Waimanala coastline. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts now as you reflect back at those, those issues and how they may have defined you moving forward. And if those types of situations may become a liability moving forward in just the disagreements that uh, came up from the community during uh, those times. Well, Sherwoods is something that um, became heart-wrenching for me and heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, it was a project that was not uh, first priority or a major priority for me, but a priority for the council member from the district who wanted me to support it. And I gave my word that I would. And so we went forward. When the project began and as the pushback grew, I looked to see if we couldn't modify the proposal to make it smaller, to say that we would not do the full build out. We just make it a field because money had expent had been expended or I was trying to see if there's a way to uh, make it work in terms of just creating a gathering place where cultural practices could be conducted. Um, through the process of working with the community, uh, with those leaders who protested and with those in, our, in the community who wanted this, this playground, and there are those who wanted it and had fought for it for going back more than a decade, um, I became to understand better the entire issue. Uh, we did a form of Ho'oponopono, it wasn't pure Ho'oponopono because Justice Duffy was the one who brought us together. Uh, but meeting with the protesters, particularly Kawike and Kalani, um, I came to understand the importance of Waimanalo Bay Beach Park, which is now called Hunana Niho. And I think it that name came out of our efforts through Ho'oponopono. My hope was that we could have salvaged some part of this park, but it became clear that this had ripped apart the community. The community needed to heal. Um, the scars had to get less. And so I stepped away from the project in a way that I hope allows that healing. Um, for me, I think it's taught me as a leader um, that much more effort needs to be done to reach out to communities, to get their input. That process is so important um, in discussions. And you can't assume that because you brought it before the community 10, five, two years ago, that that's sufficient, that this ongoing outreach and discussion has to continue up until the land is started to be cleared and active listening needs to be done. And we need to make sure that everyone has their voice in the process. And I think it, it's repeated throughout um, Hawaii in terms of projects, including the TMT project. I'm on a beach park, I have to say, um, I feel like the discussion partly got hijacked. You know, the goal here was to get people who have money to build a park for free at Almoana Beach Park, about 1.3 acres out of 127 acres, an inclusive playground. By that, by, by that I mean in a playground with for children who had disabilities, physical disabilities or learning disabilities, 
could use equipment. There's no such playground like that in the state of the in the state of Hawaii. The idea came from Bryant Park in Chicago, where this beautiful park has been totally uh, refurbished and supported and funded in terms of maintenance by those who live around the park, extremely wealthy individuals and corporations who help maintain the park and make it even better. Central Park is another example of that. And I wanted to start small to see if we could perhaps do a playground and then if it worked to see if we couldn't do it for the entire park. Um, many people thought it was being done for the rich people who live across the street in Park Lane. And my limited experience in going to Park Lane is there are very few people in that project who have young children. And I would question whether anyone in that project at the current time has children with learning disabilities. These folks who are supporting it were trying to address an unmet need. And I was hoping it could have been accomplished. Now, in that one too, I think a better outreach program, while well, we did have several meetings of which I went to and spent hours at one case, um, you know, someone punched me. Um, it, and that comes with the process. But I think more had to happen uh, to get community input. And I still think it's something, these public-private partnerships with people with money pay for public uh, efforts uh, so the taxpayer doesn't have to pay is, I think, something worth pursuing. It just needs to be done in a better manner with more input and more explanation to, for everyone involved. But the Let's park looks great, by the way. I want to say I, <laughs> I jog around that park all the time. There are tons of trees. We've rebuilt bridges. We've rebuilt walls. The Hawaiian Lagoon, the Japanese Lagoon, just, there's even a pagoda in the middle of it. Now you guys should go down and look. It's looking really good. I want to ask you a little bit about the race that's shaping up. Of course, Vicky yeah. Cayetano did announce. We expect Josh Green to do so any day now at this point. His website already is up with lawn signs. So we know that that one is a go. And you said that you uh, will be making an announcement relatively soon. What distinguishes you if we limit it to those three candidates? Uh, what distinguishes you from your opponents in this race? I think, number one, um, I'm the only candidate of the three who actually was sitting in the executive seat for eight years, uh, making decisions, um, easy ones and very difficult ones. Sometimes I got it right, sometimes I didn't. I learned and got back up and went forward. Um, the other two candidates have not had that experience, you know, and I ran a very complex organization of about 10,000 with 10,000 employees uh, for the island of Oahu with a little over a million people for eight years. Um, being a lieutenant governor with a limited staff uh, where for the most part, you can comment, report, um, encourage, criticize. Um, the other one who, the other candidate, um, a strong independent businesswoman who created something out of nothing. I think those are really uh, admirable things, but again, not the experience that I've had running a complex government organization with really, really controversial issues to deal with. Um, I think that teaches you tremendous uh, amount of things that are very useful um, being the governor. You know, I'm going to hit the ground running. Uh, I know where the pitfalls are. I think uh, it makes me a much stronger and tested leader. And uh, that's what I think distinguishes me from the other two candidates running. You know, when you're putting together this framework of what a campaign will look like from a practical standpoint, I mean, what do you think it'll take uh, to win this race when you look at whether it be finances or just overall infrastructure with your campaign structure and key demographics? I mean, 
from a strategic, I mean, I, I know you don't want to reveal all your cards yeah. here, uh, but, you know, just curious to think of, of what it, you think it would take to win an election and then how you would go about doing that. Well, one run, I think it, it bottom line, it just takes a lot of hard work and sweat equity. You know, I ran for, go, for, for mayor three times. The first time I lost by half a point, the other two times I won, but I was running from behind all three times. Um, that seems to be the case for me. And part of it is I'm someone who um, stands up for things that are somewhat controversial at times and won't run from them. For example, our rail project when I was running for mayor. Um, and so I have difficult campaigns, but I've won the last two, I think, because of the hard work that we put in. When I say we, it's not just me out there working hard. It's our entire campaign infrastructure from those who form the strategy to our grassroots team, to everyone else in between. It takes a lot of hard work. And I think we're building a team. We have part of that team already from my last two campaigns in place. And we're building a team that now goes uh, statewide. So I think a lot of that is, is what helps win. Of course, fundraising, you need money in order to spend on media, for example, at the Homeless Advertiser and other media organizations. And so fundraising is critical. And you know we're having some very successful fundraising events. The last thing is um, reaching out to the people of Hawaii and showing them that you know, I'm going to be someone who is going to be willing to stand up uh, for, for the people of Hawaii uh, in difficult situations that I'm not going to run. I'm not going to, to cut. I'm not going to blame others. You know, as mayor, I don't think you ever heard me blame anyone for any problem, whether I, whether it's one I inherited or one that was not of my making. Um, I accepted it and went forward. And I think folks are going to realize that that's the kind of leader they need. Um, I'm running. I'm running because I want to pivot, use this pandemic to pivot and take Hawaii in a new direction, preserving the aloha and the kuleana ohana feeling that stays the same, but really taking us somewhere where we have regenerative growth. We're not just counting the number of tourists coming, but how much money is actually staying here in Hawaii from our visitor industry. You know, how do we really address our education challenges and giving greater voice to each of the counties in terms of how education is taught in the counties, uh, decentralizing in that area. How do we put the Hawaiian, Native Hawaiian community front and center in decision-making and critical issues? Not saying you can do it, but actually having them make the decisions. I think if we don't do that, we lose the aloha that defines us as a people. It makes us different than anywhere else in the world. Affordable housing, breaking that mold. I mean, we've talked for, for generations at this point it needs some bold, strong action of which I'm willing to take and have ideas to do so. And then finally, our climate crisis. You know, I, I think it is great that Governor Ige is in Glasgow. I know there's been some criticism. Hawaii is a leader in our country and in the world in terms of addressing climate in so many different ways. And we should be proud of the fact that we have stood up and taken strong actions. Much more needs to be done. It goes beyond making pledges. It goes to making very difficult decisions. If we're going to do our part, to really lower the warming of our planet and impact how we live, not for our generation, but Yunji, your children and their children. So that's why I'm running. And I, I think we have a plan to win and I'm very hopeful that we'll come out successful. 
You know, you mentioned rail, and when I look at the comments that are coming in from our viewers right now, there are there are many that are saying, yes, we need you, please come back. And on the other side, there are people who have a lot of criticism, and that really centers on rail. How do you get people, because this is an incredibly unpopular project at the moment, given how much the costs have ballooned, how do you get people who hate rail still want to vote for you? Yeah, I think part of it is, I think, trying to get a better understanding what the rail project is about or why I supported it or, and I still do support it is that it is about how do we get people who live on the west side, Eva, the Leeward Coast, um, to jobs where most of the growth is, by the way, where most of the housing is being built, to their jobs at the airport, at Pearl Harbor, in Kalihi, downtown, Alamoana, and as close to Waikiki as possible where it's one of the major employment centers. It's about transportation equity and social justice. It's about getting people from their home to work, to school. It's about people who, on the West side getting to Manoa to go to school. And we need to complete the project. You know, Under my term, three quarters of the project either completed or under construction. And yes, there are huge, huge problems with the project, but I don't think it means we stop, we cut and we run. I think it's, we recalibrate build in smaller phases as we receive the funding to keep building. The last one quarter is about 4.16 miles. It's where most of the ridership is. Um, we need to complete that to get people where, where they need to go. It won't happen. It didn't happen. It was supposed to be completed when I was mayor. Um, they're saying it'll take another 10 years. Um, by then, I will be retired. And I just think people are going to understand how transformational this project is in terms of moving people, but also creating development along the rail line that is dense, that is more sustainable, that is more green, that is more energy um, conservative. It's the type of living we need to do to address our climate crisis. Rail brings that all together in so many different ways. And I hope people will step back and realize that, yes, there are problems. Um, I was the mayor, I have responsibility for the project. Um, there have been major mistakes made. I accept responsibility for those mistakes, but I think much has been learned. I think that um, going forward, the project should be much better. We have some very strong people there. I'm glad that Mayor Blangiardi has reappointed Colleen to the heart board. I brought her in. I think she'll make a tremendous difference, um, but that's how I'd explain it. And um, you know, I would appreciate more discussion on this, on this um, issue because I think it's extremely important. There's been no infrastructure project bigger than this, probably in the history of Hawaii. Um, and I think it's worth continuing the fight for. Well, Kokaldo, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Unfortunately, we are out of time, uh, but we appreciate you coming on and sharing us your thoughts as well as the updates with what you're doing. And we look forward to that official announcement, uh, hopefully sometime soon. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, UNG. Aloha. Be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Thank you so much. Aloha. Thank you so Great much. Great to see Aloha. you. Thank you so much. Really interesting to hear his thoughts. Uh, you know, an announcement is imminent, it sounds like. He did say that he's had several fundraisers, and he is doing some neighbor island listening tours, spending time on Maui and in Kona to talk to people about what their concerns are. You heard him there kind of uh, set that rumor, squash that rumor about a potential target letter that he may have received. He said he has not received one, and he did urge a presumption of in innocence for his cabinet members who have. 
a lot of topics also being discussed this morning as well, uh, you know, talking about the pandemic, his response overall to how things are going, what he sees in the future, as he said, is something that we will have to learn to live with. But at a point in time that there are going to be, uh, you know, hopefully when these numbers continue to decline, where we will see some of the reductions in the restrictions that are currently in place, uh, of course, the mayor became famous for that tier system that he set up that a lot of people used as the metrics to help guide people through the pandemic, especially here in the city and county of Honolulu. Uh, those daily count numbers became something that everybody was watching at one point in time to see when we would move into that next tier level. Uh, so the mayor does say uh, that he believes that there's a point in time where we will get to a point where some of those restrictions will eventually be lifted. Of course, uh, Mayor Blangiardi has sort of redeveloped the way that they have uh, they are monitoring that and you know the, the current mayor has also changed a few things including his approach to homelessness and we heard from the former mayor uh, about his thoughts about what's happening in that situation and his accomplishments during his time but saying that there is no magic bullet that's going to cure homelessness and uh, you know looks forward to seeing how this new project and this new approach will uh, work out overall yeah, and you did hear him talk there about the, the central importance of affordable housing when it comes to that issue and talking about how the state could be a leader in helping to develop more affordable housing using federal money uh, to try to, you know, to direct it to have more opportunity because at the end of the day, it really is about housing. Um, we covered a lot of ground and there's still more to talk about. So we look forward to having more conversations with Kirk Caldwell in the future. On Wednesday, we are sticking to the world of politics. You saw over the weekend, uh, former mayoral candidate Keith Amamiya announcing that he is formally entering the race for lieutenant governor. He's going to be talking to us on Wednesday and uh, briefly, and then after that, we'll be talking to political analyst Colin Moore. We're going to wrap up both races, talk about our interview today with Kirk Caldwell and also the governor's race overall, and also the lieutenant governor's race, because my goodness, Ryan, uh, it seems like every day there's someone else announcing that they are in that race. Yeah, it's going to be a crowded field, so it'll be interesting to get his take on what he thinks it will take to actually be the winner coming out of that crowded democratic field. We look forward to seeing you back here on Wednesday for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.